Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight. Let's get right into it. Welcome to my mind mare. Alright, so I got a couple things uh, going on right now. Um, number one, you'll probably be able to tell by my voice, I'm fighting something, a cold, uh, uh, I don't know, stupidity, something. But uh, So if my voice comes and goes tonight, unfortunately I'm just going to have to say you got to live with it. But uh, Alright, so Evercon. Uh, it, it's December 9th today. Evercon is just under a month away, so... Uh, last minute things. Get your, uh, you can buy your tickets for events now that opened up, uh, right after Thanksgiving. Um, you can also still volunteer to run something. You can volunteer some time to help us out. We're always looking for more volunteers. Always looking for people to run more things. So, um, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, get going on that. Now, my next topic, um, since you all know I actually record before it drops is we're actually about a little under a week away from Thanksgiving. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving versus Christmas, at least in my world. Uh, you know, right after Halloween, Christmas shit everywhere. And personally, it pisses me off. Um, Thanksgiving is, I know it's not a big, uh, what do you want to call it? It's not a big monetary uh, holiday for anyone, but it's a big family holiday. And for years now, and I've watched it over the years that I've been alive go from nothing. Christmas really went into the stores until, you know, after Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, black Friday, you know, Christmas puked everywhere. Um, the only thing you ever saw before that was, you know, some of the big box stores, you would see Christmas trees up and that kind of stuff, but you didn't, you didn't have all of it. I mean, Right now, if you walk into a Walmart or a Target or a Kohl's, it doesn't matter where you walk into. Probably the fucking gas station down the road. Christmas has puked everywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike Christmas. I love Christmas. It's a great time. It's it's great family time. All that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, Santa just needs to keep his fat ass out of Thanksgiving. I mean... And like I said, this is just my opinion. If you're okay with Christmas, you know, puking everywhere right after things or right after Halloween, great. Uh, but to me, it just seems like the the fact that um, Christmas is such a monetary gain for stores that they're kind of losing that 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 small holiday, that holiday where um, you know it's really based around family. Um, it's really based around nothing more than family, but unfortunately it's not a big money time because you don't give gifts. You don't do that kind of stuff. So, all right. So that's my little, uh, my little rant tonight, my little soapbox moment, if you want to call it that. Um, so maybe it makes me a soapbox hero. 
Anyone? Anyone? No? All right. So, anyway, let me get into um, introducing my guest tonight. Now, she was supposed to be on a couple weeks ago, and she didn't make it, which is fine. Um, and in fact, tonight, she wasn't supposed to be on tonight either. Um, Christian Amon, the guy that was supposed to be on tonight, he uh, had something come up. So I just took when Nicole was supposed to come back, and I took his dates, and we kind of flipped them. So we'll be talking to Christian uh, a few weeks from now. But Nicole was uh, kind enough to come tonight and uh, sit down and talk with me. So let's uh, let's start by uh, let's introduce her let or let's let her introduce herself. Um, so uh, why don't you go ahead tell us what you do in the real world? Because as everybody knows, this is not the real world. This is internet radio, which is worse than real radio. Because if I really want to, I can stop. I can cut. I can fix things. I don't. I'm too fucking lazy. <laughs> But, Nicole, go ahead. Tell us about yourself. Hi, my name is Nicole Schwabach, and I currently teach at North Central Technical College. I teach biology and anatomy and physiology. Uh, In the past, I have worked for the Department of Defense in a latent fingerprint laboratory, and that's pretty much my history is my history is criminal investigation and forensics. Uh, so I teach a lot of biology now. Okay, so uh, we have a we have a sort of a link. Mm-hmm. I actually in two thousand three I graduated from NTC uh, in computer networking. So it has nothing to really do with what you do, but no. other than it was, I don't even think it's under the same roof because I think you're in one of the new buildings out there. I'm in the big new beautiful building that is just stellar. I've taught at several universities and community colleges, and this one is actually beautiful because everything's pretty new. All right. So anyway, um, just to, to draw a parallel here, uh, Nicole is married to Lou, who's been on the show twice. Yep. And, um, well, we're going to jump into this day in history, and then we'll come back to you. How's that sound? That sounds fine. I would actually just like to jump on the Thanksgiving Christmas oh, absolutely. thing at the moment. Um, I am a huge Halloween fan. As am I. But it also makes me just almost physically ill when the day after or the day after Halloween, it is Christmas. And I have people on my block with their Christmas lights up and on. I saw that the other night when I came over to, uh, to play uh, WWE 2017 with, uh, with Lou. And I was driving by and I was going to say something to you, but... I completely forgot. But yeah, there's that house just up the road from you. Yes, and it haunts me every time we drive by it. I have no problem. I know we live in the upper Midwest. You want to get your lights up while the weather is nice. But you don't have to turn them on. don't have to turn them on. Oh my God. Even better, I I don't remember where exactly in town I was driving the other night. And I drove past a house. And in the main window, they had the Christmas tree up. They had it lit. The lights were going already. They had their outside decorated, and I went, the fuck? Yeah, that is some super dedication <clears throat> to Christmas. You know, this coming weekend, or maybe next weekend, I'll actually get our lights up, but they don't go on until... Thank you. You know, don't go on the day yet. and after Thanksgiving. Yes. I mean, um, you know, it, it's it's sad when you can walk into Walmart on November 1st, and you can buy half-price Halloween candy and a stocking. (laughs) 
I think this yes. is giving. I think this is giving parents a bad idea. They buy the half price candy, and then they put it in your stocking at Christmas, and that just seems way too long for candy to not be eaten. It yeah, but the children will never complain. So, but it is it's it is utterly sickening. I love Thanksgiving. It is a great holiday. But you're right. There is absolutely no financial gain. Other than grocery stores. Right. And and, so, and they're going to get that regardless of whether they got the Halloween candy half price and the Christmas candy full price. Yeah. So. You know what's really sick, though, is if you go, one of the worst stores, the worst offenders is Hobby Lobby. Yes, but. They will know, have Christmas stuff out in August. Yes, but there's a reason for that. It's Hobby Lobby. You actually have to build that shit. Oh, no, no, no. This is their decorations, too. Oh, really? Yes. See, I don't go to Hobby Lobby too often because I usually go shopping on Sundays. And that doesn't work with open. Hobby Lobby. No, no, they will have their decorations and everything out in August. Oh, see, I it see. Somebody sad. had told me that they have their Christmas stuff out early, like August, and I said, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." And like, "Well, you got to build this shit," and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I get it. If it's if it's projects and that kind of stuff, because like Nikki makes um, my Nikki, not you, <laughs> my Nikki will do these hand uh, towels, and she'll like." Uh, stitch shit on them yeah know? oh yeah I mean, and that takes time it does but the just the straight up decorations put those in the back just just hold on to them people will buy them yeah you just don't have to put them out yet. i mean honestly i usually buy next year's holiday stuff after christmas yep because it's on sale exactly and uh well yeah anyway so let's get anyway. into uh today in history uh december 9th 1992. This, I think, is the newest piece of history I've done so far. And uh, I, I'm not even sure why I picked this. Um, other than, uh, you know, well, we'll get into that in the end. Okay, so December 9th, 1992, is the separation of Charles and Diana announced. British Prime Minister John Major announces the formal separation of Charles, Prince of Wales, and heir to the British throne, and his wife, Princess Diana. Major explained that the royal couple were separating amicably. I hate that word, amicably. The report came after several years of speculation by the tabloid press that the marriage was in peril, citing evidence that Diana and Charles spent vacations apart and official visits in separate rooms. On July 29, 1981, nearly 1 billion televised viewers, television viewers in 74 countries tuned in to witness the marriage of Princess Charles, heir to the British throne, to Lady Diana Spencer, a young English school teacher. Married in a grand ceremony at St. Paul's Cathedral in the presence of 2,650 guests. You know, I thought I had a big wedding. We had 300 people show up. Jeez. So, that is a big wedding, except by this standard. If you're if you're a prince or a princess, I guess more people show up. I'm sure they had to cut the guest list, even. <laughs> Aunt Susie can't come. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, 2000, uh, the couple's romance was, for the moment, the envy of the world. Their first child, Prince William, was born in 1982, and their second, Prince Henry, in 1984. Before long, however, the fairy tale couple grew apart, an experience that was particularly painful under the watchful eyes of the world's tabloid media. Diana and Charles separated in 1992, though they continued to carry out their royal duties. In August 1996, two months after Queen Elizabeth II urged the couple to divorce, the prince and princess reached a final agreement. In exchange for a in her apartments at Kensington, Kensington Palace, 
and her title of Princess of Wales, Diana agreed to relinquish the title of Her Royal Highness and any further claims to the British throne. In the year following the divorce, the popular princess seemed well on her way to achieving her dream of becoming a queen in people's hearts. But on August 31, 1997, she was killed with her companion, Dodi Fayed, in a car accident in Paris. An investigation conducted by the French police concluded that the driver, who also died in the crash, was heavily intoxicated and caused the accident while trying to escape the paparazzi photographers who consistently tailed Diana during any public outing. Prince Charles married the Duchess of Cornwall, Camilla Parker Bowles, on April 9, 2005. So I think the reason I picked this is I always had this thing for Princess Diana. <laughs> she, I'm sorry, she was she was she was gorgeous. Now I don't expect you to yeah. think the same way, but I thought she was gorgeous, and the fact that she was married to Charles, who has to be one of the ugliest men on the face of the earth, that I can agree on. <laughs> he is, you know. Um, but I don't know, maybe it was the rags, the richest story of Diana, you know, well, not rags, I guess, but you know, she was just a school teacher and he kind of picked her out kind of like their son did. Um, uh, William married, uh, um, Kate, Kate, uh, Middleton, who was also a school teacher. Mm So, uh, but anyway, enough about my fascination with the English crown. Let's get back to you, Nicole. Yes. All right. So, topics. So, as of right now, I am two and fourteen in topics. Okay. Now, when when we initially set up the the interview, at that point, you would be what I would consider a brand new gamer. Yes. So I thought maybe we would sit and talk about your new hobby of role playing. So that was my guess. Your new hobby of role-playing. Am I 3 and 14? You are not. Of course I'm not. <laughs> All right. So what what is it we're talking about this week? Well, it's, like you said, something that I would have knowledge of or interest in. Correct. And I have to say I am a total crime nut. You're a crime nut. So Yes, like not committing crimes, but studying ah, crimes. Damn, see now that would be interesting. <laughs> we could talk about how you set up your next bank job and you know, stuff like that. I mean the police don't listen to this. I don't we're think we're hoping yet. <laughs> Until now. That will be at our next trial. Just, so that's just contact me. I know their address. <laughs> no, no, so okay, so you're a crime nut. Now so what are we going to talk about today? Are we going to talk about crime TV shows? Are we going to talk about true life crimes? Are we going to talk about, you know, the grody stuff that you do or oh, did? Yes. I have done grody things. Yes. I studied forensic anthropology. I've studied at the body farm, if you've heard yeah, of it. See, and that's just what kind of grosses me out. Really? I, yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not a true crime person nikki is a big fan of like bones and csi and yeah you know those kind of shows and they're fine i don't mind them except for that first 10 minutes or whatever you know when they're showing all the the guy that's you know got no head and he's decomposing on this table and they're like oh look at this you see his tendon and he was cut here and that was done with a serrated knife and i'm just like just no 
No. And that is, because I have studied crime in reality, I have interned at the state of Iowa's crime lab. Okay. I worked in their drug department, and I actually worked in all of their departments for a while. Uh, I know what real CSI crime work looks like versus television. And and, and for the most part, we can say television is bullshit. Com- completely. Complete okay. bullshit. And it is entertaining. Sometimes. <laughs> Disgusting to some, entertaining to others. Fair enough. And I have to say that those shows like CSI and Bones, they have brought a lot of much needed attention to the forensic field, but they've also had a really negative what's called the CSI effect. Have you heard well, of that? Well, no, I haven't. But I would assume that since it's complete and utter bunk on TV that people get interested in it Mm -hmm. and then they want to go off to college for it or whatever, thinking that's what they're getting into. Yes. And my understanding is that the real life aspect of all this is much more boring. It is. It is just like any other job in that you have a specific field. If you are a fingerprint guy, you are a fingerprint guy and you spend all day in the lab looking at fingerprints. If you are a drug guy, you are a drug guy. You sit all day in your lab looking testing at drugs, drugs. Testing drugs. Now, it can be interesting. <sighs> this sounds like you have a personal story, perhaps. I do have a personal story. So, as an intern at the Iowa State Crime Lab, I was there for the better part of a year. And okay. I was assisting, and they're getting ready for international accreditation. So, they would be recognized by international crime labs as being... Valid. So, like, like different countries, like yes. Interpol kind of stuff. Correct. Okay. Yes. And why does Iowa need that? Iowa actually has one of the newest and most organized crime labs in the United States. It's pretty unique. But it's Iowa. It is, but they handle all crimes from the state of Iowa. Right. Right. And because we can't. The state well, I know, like, pretty BA. I know, like, here in Wausau, there's actually a state crime lab. There is. It's really small. Yeah, it's it a does. Three, it's like a three-person gig. Okay. So uh, that's not the main one for the state. No, no. Okay. Uh, I'm Wa- guessing Madison. W- uh, Wisconsin actually has three crime labs. There's one in Milwaukee, one in Madison, and then there's one in Wausau. And Wausau is fairly small. It's about a three-person office. They handle some aspects of investigation, not all. And they address everything kind of Mwasa North. So, like, Uh, where there's no actual population in the state. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, and if there's any extensive testing that needs to be done, it will be shipped to Madison or to Milwaukee to be done. Okay. Whereas... Anyway, go... go, Back to your... No, that's cool. Okay. The thing about... Is I've tried to get into the Wasa lab. Okay. The problem with forensics is once you're in, you're in. And you have to wait for someone to retire or die. To get a position. So I really hate to think bad thoughts on those three people working in the Wausau lab. No, I get you. So, but fingers crossed, right? So, anyway. So they know you're interested, though. They do. Okay. Uh, But so the Iowa State Crime Lab, I called and offered my services as an intern, obviously unpaid. I was Ooh, like, exciting. Yeah. It makes it even more exciting. It does. You know, that, that, that's the one thing is, now, I didn't go into a career where I internshiped. I, I have a uh, computer networking degree, and, you know, you could do an internship or that kind of stuff, but basically, I didn't. 
Um, I no longer work in computer networking. (laughs) (laughs) Who uses their degree anyway? You know, actually, I got my degree like 13 years ago, and it got me into the door of the the company I work for now still. Uh, But I've never used my degree. Yeah. So. You and half of a college educated population. You know, honestly, I look at a college degree, at least my college degree, as it was a door opener. Yes. That that's really, I paid way too much for a piece of paper to open a door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but everybody has to jump through that hoop. Yeah, exactly. So, but I was interning at the state crime lab at the time. I was a graduate student at Iowa State University, studying forensic anthropology. I was also pursuing a forensic science certificate at the school uh, through the chemistry department. So now, what is your level of education you have a master's degree do you have a phd do you have a i have a master's degree in forensic anthropology and a graduate certificate in forensic sciences okay Uh, i also it was a long road getting there i actually started undergrad i am pre-medical biology chemistry i was accepted into medical school and went to medical school for two and a half years in at des moines university which is osteopathic medicine i was there for two and a half years before I decided I didn't want to be a doctor. Okay. So that was like a $150,000 mistake, but that's cool. And... <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> so I left and decided to mesh my love of crime with my love of anatomy. And that led me to forensic anthropology. Okay. And so forensic anthropologists, for those that don't know, pretty much will study remains that are so disgusting medical examiners don't want to bother so they're so decomposed that you really can't get much out of them so you're left with the bones and that's what you look at okay so that's forensic anthropology and so that's what i studied that's why i went to the body farm for two weeks i got to hang out with the maggots okay so i do have a question about the body farm yes where is it it is in knoxville tennessee it is part of the University of Tennessee Knoxville campus. They, is there only one body farm in the state or in the only country? One, uh, no, they are the original body farm. Okay. It was des- um, it was developed by a man named Jefferson. Or, oh my God, Bill Bass. Bill Bass is kind of the patriarch of forensic anthropology. Okay. He developed the first for uh, the first quote unquote body farm, and it's attached to the University of Tennessee now. What's really unique about the department is anthropology usually is not a big department on any campus. Okay. They usually don't get prime locations. They don't get a lot of money uh, because it's such a social science. But because Bill Bass is so good at what he does, uh, they gave him some land. He wanted to do some decomposition research starting in the 70s. Okay. He got a little, little, little shed, actually. (laughs) And once they found out that some of the information he was gathering is useful, they gave him a little more land and a little land and a little land. And they now have three acres of land in downtown Knoxville. It is actually adjacent to an area hospital along the river. And you can see it from the football stadium in the hospital. So the land is right next to it. It's heavily wooded. And... What they do is they receive bodies that have been donated. There is a, actually a waiting list for donors. People have 
signed up to donate their bodies to science. Okay. So they actually have over a thousand people waiting, you know, when I die. Yeah, you can have my body. Um, They also receive any unidentified remains from the state of Tennessee and the city of Knoxville. And what they do is on this three acres of land, they lay them out. And they can do decomposition studies. Uh, They have pretty much done all of the decomposition studies you can do on a human remain at this point. So most of the bodies are just laid out in hopes that they skeletonize fast. Because what they want is the skeleton. They don't care about the tissues anymore. Uh, But they also do some training exercises for police organizations, the FBI, they've buried uh, human remains in a car and then buried it underground and made people go dig it up. They do canine cadaver dog training. They do all kinds of stuff. Okay, no, go ahead. But as soon as the bodies are skeletonized, then they take them back to the university, clean them up, take measurements. They actually input those into a system called Fordisk. So there are thousands of human remains that have been put in this database now, such that if I were to go find an unidentified, unknown skeleton, I would be able to take measurements, plug it into this database, and it would tell me, is it, based on statistics, is it a male or a female? How tall were they? How old were they? And what was their race? Okay, so the stuff Bones can do just by looking at it, you actually have to run through a database. You can, and you can look... You can actually just look at a bone. You can look at a skeleton and give get a rough estimate based on their skeletal features. Well, I know there's certain things, especially in the pelvic region between men and women, correct? That you can tell, but other than that, I'm... the best bones to have if you want to do these again, the skull and the pelvis are going to be your best bet for age, especially the skull uh, and the pelvis for your sex. Uh, your ans- yes, please. Yeah, yes. The ancestral history is more the skull again, and then if you have the rest of the bones, those can be used for height, those can be used for age, because your bones fuse at different rates, uh, and so it can give you a rough estimate of how old that person wants when they die. Is there a way that um, through just bones you can tell how heavy somebody was? No. No? That is one thing you cannot determine. So uh, there's not there's not any sort of condensing if you're heavier than you would have if you weren't. No, that's something you cannot estimate is body weight. You can show if a person was very muscular, um, muscles all attached to the bones, and so the larger, more denser the muscle attachments, they'll actually, the bones will become kind of ridged and enlarged on the surface. So you can tell if a person was rather muscular. Uh, They actually have the bones of the man that developed Muscle Beach in California. Okay. Uh, They have his bones, quite muscular. Uh, so you can tell if someone was muscular, but you can't tell that you cannot tell how heavy they were. Okay, so now the reason I asked you about the body farm and all that was great information. But, but you don't even know the best part yet. Okay, well we can get back to that. Okay. But I'm I'm letting you know a little secret here. The reason I asked you this is so that I never go near it. Yeah. No, it's cool. You would never find it on your own. And even if you did find it, you couldn't see anything. That that's good. Yeah. I is. don't like dead bodies. I, most people don't. Uh, but, but you're weird. I know, right? <laughs> Give me the goo. All right, so what's the good... What, well, what's, what's the... cool is if it has a double fence. So you not only have a tall, I think it's a 12-foot wooden fence, so you can't see in. There's a barbed wire fence outside of that. Uh, they have security. Uh, 
they have a lot of people trying to break in? Not a lot, but they do have break-ins. Obviously, you have stupid teenagers that are daring each other to go in there. You also, uh, because some agencies want to do decomposition studies, you can try to re reconstruct a particular crime based on if somebody had a particular set of clothing on or if they were wrapped in a blanket what they'll do is they'll recreate the body conditions and then they'll set up a camera and a lot of times those are expensive pieces of equipment they have uh, so people are after the equipment not the dead bodies gotcha exactly um but nine times out of ten uh they don't even get in now kind of the (laughs) because it's so close to the hospital it is a wooded area uh but the life flight would actually fly right over the body farm to get to the hospital. And the people in the helicopter weren't so happy to see these dead bodies just laying around. So they actually even cover them up now with tarps to prevent prying eyes too much well. well. right, but doesn't, doesn't, doesn't covering them up in tarp uh, change the results? Not necessarily. Most, again, 99% of the bodies they have there, they don't care what's happening on the ground. They just want them to get to a skeleton as fast as possible. Isn't there a way you can do that chemically? Not as fast as laying them out in a hot Knoxville sun. Really? No. Okay. You're going to have to go through a lot of chemicals. You're going to have to pay for a lot of removal of body. Biohazards. Biohazard. Yep. You got nice fertile ground back there now, man. I bet you. I bet you the 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 grass and the trees and shit they grow like crazy. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. they do. Uh, yes, they because do. Because you, like you said, there's a lot of nutrients. There is a lot of nutrients, but so once they get all these skeletons, they clean them up, they take them back to the anthropology department, and they measure them. Now, have you seen the movie The Blind Side? The Blind Side. That's the uh, football one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they try to scare him and tell him that there are skeletons under the football field in Tennessee. Okay. You remember that? I don't remember that okay. part, but well, if you have seen that movie, they try to scare him by saying that the skeleton there are skeletons underneath the field. That's true and not true. There's actually all of the skeletons. The forensic anthropology department is under the stadium seats. So I spent two weeks in the stadium, sitting under the seats. That's where the anthropology department is, and that's oh, where they store. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. That's where I'm they like, store. Why the fuck are they putting? Yeah. Skeletons underneath the seats. Yep. So under the stadium, normally where you would find your snack bar and your t-shirt sales, that's the anthropology department, and that's where they have all of these bones. So yes, the blind side was mostly true. Okay. They're all there. But back, so that was, yeah, anthropology. I also got to burn a house down while I was out there, so that was fun too. Interesting. Yes. So now let's jump for a minute into TV. Yes. Okay, so are you a fan of the crime scene, or the crime... Yeah, I'm a total sucker for most of them. I I like the drama of them. I like the characters they develop. Uh, when CSI came on, I was totally hooked. I named my dog after the, the my main character, Gil Grissom from CSI, right? So that was one of my favorite shows. Now, once Grissom left the show, I kind of left also and isn't there like 27 versions of csi now there's csi miami which was just complete bullshit oh my god there was csi new york which was pretty good but it also has been canceled i believe csi itself the original is still on but i haven't watched it since probably season eight okay so i've watched bones okay which is a forensic anthropologist at the jeffersonian now 
also complete bullshit. There is literally no forensic but anthropology. based upon a real person. It is based upon a real person. If you want to read real forensic anthropology as it's practiced, read the books written before Bones was made. Now, Bones was based on a character, Temperance Brennan. Right. Temperance Brennan is based on a real person, the author that wrote those books, Kathy Reichs. Read the books of Temperance Brennan. That's real forensic anthropology. It's based okay. on her life. So now my wife watches Bones. So yes. I've seen some of these and I've seen some of the most disgusting stuff I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> now, it's really funny because I'm a big fan into like the supernatural type yeah, shows like Buffy and Angel and and I know that's fake, so it doesn't bother me. Yes. You know, but then I see, like, the shit on Bones, and I'm like, ew! <laughs> that's not really e- real either. But, so my question is, like, these things that they do on Bones, because that's really the only one I'm really familiar with at, at all, is, like, they will take some Bones. Yes. That's the name of it. Yes. And they'll be like, one guy will look at a, a bone underneath a, a microscope, and he'll be like... Oh, you see this? It was caused by a blade with serrated edges that are this, you know, thick or whatever. Is that legit? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You can, um, there have been so many studies based on wounds, puncture wounds, incision wounds, uh, hacking wounds, bullet trajectories. You can, any kind of trauma, there's probably been a study on it. And so, yes, you can look at a bone, tell what type of blade was used you can not uh, make an impression of soft tissue and pull out, like, the perfect blade impression. Oh, like they do sometimes. Right. Those are always beautiful, but they're not real. Uh, you can look at bones if you under the microscopic level. You can differentiate between a serrated and a smooth edge. Even saw marks, you can tell if it was a circular saw, a hand saw, uh, what type of... Uh, blade patterning was involved, you can, but you would never be able to match it to, like, this is the murder weapon. Okay, so, like, when they do no. that, you can. No. Okay, so then, my I guess my next question is, of all the different crime dramas out there, yes. and there are... Is shit ton too small of a number? <laughs> no, that seems fairly accurate. <laughs> okay, so there's this shit ton of shows out there. Mm-hmm. Which one most closely represents the field forensic files okay it's a it's a i have actually seen episodes of forensic files yes and i don't even know if they make forensic files anymore i wish if they don't i really wish they would because it is more it's real science it's those are actual real cases that they demonstrate how they were solved and most of the time they're in a unique way Right, they're they're interesting. I know I've shown one to a class where they were actually able to do DNA on a plant. Okay. And they found a seed pod in this guy's pickup truck, and they were able to match it to trees near where the body was found. Oh, okay. Cool. They actually developed a whole new form of DNA testing. But from a legal standpoint, would that not be considered circumstantial evidence? It would be. Okay. But you can get a crap ton of circumstantial evidence together to make, make real a very evidence. strong case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so continue on. 
No, so I would say Forensic Files is probably the best. Okay. Uh, the problem with a lot of the dramatic shows, CSI, Bones, uh, I, one of my personal favorites is Criminal Minds, uh, is that they do not represent real forensics in any way. Uh, and that's what I was going to mention earlier is the CSI effect that these shows have had, is that people have unre- unreasonable expectations of criminal investigators of crime labs and what they can actually do. Uh, and how quickly and it how happens. how fast it can be done. Correct, <laughs> right? So I think one of the biggest problems is DNA, right? So in those shows, all they have to do is like, get a fleck of someone's skin, they plug it into a system, and 30 seconds later, they have everyone in the United States or beyond, their DNA samples and their files on hand, and you can match it to somebody. Good luck. DNA actually can take a minimum, if you rush a case, minimum a week, maximum months, depending on how backlogged and how important your case is. Uh, you only have DNA files on hand to compare to of convicted felons at this point. So you don't just have everyone in the United States DNA on file. So you me own... not being a convicted felon. Yes. If I went out and did some heinous crime. Yep. And you got my fingernail, let's say. Yep. It's not going to match anything. It's not going to match anything. No. So unless they had you as a suspect and they came and got your DNA sample. And it if, matched that If they way. didn't know you from anyone else and they had no reason to connect you to the case, then no. Okay. They'd have absolutely nothing to compare it to. All right. So then on the flip side of the coin is what is the absolute worst <laughs> show out there? In your opinion, obviously, it's not. No, I, I think it's all of them combined. Pretty much all the all dramatic them, ones. All the dramatic ones. And they're good for TV watching, but they've had a really bad effect on the forensic field. And that's, you see that in court cases. And you see that in ongoing police investigations. Well, you have a fingerprint. Why don't you know who it is? I don't have anyone to compare it to. So yeah, you what can't am just I supposed go, to do with that? You can't just go to the entire town of, let's say, Merrill and go, everybody gets fingerprinted. Yep, you can't do that. <laughs> you have to have reasonable cause. And so there's this problem. And then there's the unreasonable expectation of time. And so you go to trial. And the jury just doesn't understand that it doesn't work like television. And so they get this... They they almost have a sense of incompetence and the forensic aspect of it. They feel like, well, if it's if they can't do it like on television, then they must be doing something wrong. No, that's drama. That's drama. You can't, right. they can't do it. Right. So what do you want? They don't do ear prints. They don't do lip prints. They don't, you know, they can't pull somebody's nut hair off and match it to the specific guy in Maryland. No. Right. It's not going to work like that. Right, right. So... It's so unreasonable, and it's called the CSI effect. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and it's something that forensics has to fight now, all the time. Now, on the other hand, has the fact that all these shows are out there, has that gotten more people into the career path of doing that kind of stuff? Yes. So you have this huge boom in forensics. And unfortunately, some colleges, some institutions have taken advantage of that They've tried to sell students forensic degrees. The problem with that is that there is not a lab in the United States that wants a person with a forensic science degree. 
Uh, what they want is people with degrees in biology, in physics, in chemistry. They need people that are well-trained with the machines. Uh, when you get a forensics uh, degree, uh, you're minorly trained in a lot of stuff. You so you have a little, you have a little biology, a little chemistry, a little. You have enough to be dangerous, right? Right, and a lot of these labs actually don't want people pre-trained. They want to train them themselves based on the laboratory materials they have, the techniques they use. So if you have someone that's, oh, I'm already trained in this. Oh God, we have to start over with you and make you try to forget everything that they taught you at that <laughs> stupid community college back in. Right. You know. So. Unfortunately, a lot of people have useless degrees out there that are trying to break into these. And so they have two-year degrees from community colleges. Unfortunately, they are never going to get a second glance at a real forensics lab. They're going to look because they're also they're applying for jobs that people with bachelor's, master's, and even PhDs are applying for. Right. And so a two-year and associate's degree is not, not going to get you there. It's not going to get you that job, unfortunately. So now, again... You have people with useless degrees, as we've talked about earlier, where you have this piece of paper that is completely... And unfortunately, this piece of paper is not going to even get them in a door. No, it's somewhere. not even going to get them in a door nowhere. No. Um, and so when I have students approach me about getting into forensics, I tell them, stay away from those programs. It's really cool and all, but don't do it. Just stick with your major sciences. Okay. And I actually have a student now from that I taught in Des Moines. She is now a CSI with the Des Moines Police Department. She was working the night of the two shootings in Des Moines recently, the two police officers. Funny story about that. Oh, no. That was the day I left Des Moines. Oh, I'm glad on my you trip. got out of there. That yeah, was it sounds like it was a real... Sh yeah. Yeah, it was a mess. Uh, she worked a... I'm in contact with her. I'll be seeing her in a couple weeks. Uh, she worked a 16-hour shift out in the rain collecting fingerprints, uh, just documenting the hell out of both crime scenes to make sure yeah, that... Yeah, because they were unrelated, right? No, no. They were completely related. It was the same young... It was the same man... Okay. ...who has probably major psychological issues. Very, um... Very confused. I... From what I have read recently, about four days before the shooting, he sent an email to... One of the police departments praising police officers as being heroes and they're just wonderful and he can't thank them enough for protecting him and his town. And four days later, he went and shot a police officer that was just sitting in his vehicle. Uh, he didn't pull him over or anything. He was literally parked and he just came up and shot him. And then about a mile away, he shot another police officer in his vehicle. Uh, and mm -hmm. so... And then he was apprehended not long after he turned himself in. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty tragic. Uh, yeah. But, again, I think people are thinking that they're going to have all of this wonderful evidence. Probably not. And they just got lucky in this case because the they guy turned himself because in. because he turned himself in. Yeah. Because they really didn't have it. He had no relation to either officers. They didn't. He hadn't committed any crimes up to that point. He wouldn't have been on their radar. Wow. No. So, All right, so let's get back to the story you started a long time ago. The crime lab? The crime lab in, in Des Moines. Yes. So the Iowa crime lab, my first job there was to help organize their drug samples. Okay. 
Up until this point in their drug chemistry lab, uh, everything that they used as a comparison sample uh, was kind of thrown in this cupboard, and they were in baggies and boxes and pill bottles, and they were just thrown in there rather haphazardly. Now, the director of the department knew exactly what everything was. The woman had a steel trap for a mind, but the problem was is if that woman ever, A, died or retired... They would be totally SOL. It, it sounds to me like this would not be protocol, though. It is not. <laughs> it is not protocol. So they would be SOL if she ever died or retired, and they were getting ready for accreditation, meaning they were going to have tours. And so they needed to get all of their collective shit together. Okay. So my first job was to take everything out of the closet and organize it based on its drug class. So you have your, your opiates, your hallucinogens, meth. Uh, unfortunately, Iowa is a big meth capital, and so we also have every form of pseudoephedrine known to man in that. So is Wisconsin. Right? Good old Midwest. Yeah, yeah we like cooking our meth. Yes, we do. Um, and so I spent three months weighing every sample, creating spreadsheets to correspond to labeled containers, and come to find out I'm pretty susceptible to hallucinogens. Okay. <laughs> I got PCP on my skin, uh, and my face went numb. I okay. couldn't really feel anything. Um, brilliant me decided I should just probably go home. So I drove home. Thankfully, that was only a five-minute drive, right? Okay. So the <laughs> next... This does not sound good. <laughs> I know. I was a graduate student. I should have been smarter. <laughs> but I went home... Thankfully, I never quite, I never hallucinated. No purple unicorns or crazy monsters. Nothing. Well, then you're not doing it right. I wasn't. So I went back the next day and told my supervisor what happened. And she said, well, thank God that PCP is from the 70s. It's probably not effective anymore. And you reacted to what it was cut with on the papers. And so from now on, you just have to wear gloves. And I was wondering why I wasn't wearing gloves up into that point. But then again, I also... Didn't want to point out that I was stupid also. So. I. I right. I so, understand. I finished up that job. Uh, that was <sighs> interesting at first and then mind numbing at the end. Right. So then they moved me on. I wrote their safety manual. Ooh. Right. So your name's in print. It is. It is. <laughs> I am published. And then I got to go around and make their reference collection. Ever written a bibliography for a paper at the end and you had uh -huh. to write? Yeah. I had to go through every single department, pull out every manual and book and magazine they had, and write a reference collection for every single written piece of work in that building. Wait, stop. I'm falling asleep. Right? <laughs> the only thing I can say is that I was, I was given access to every area, and so I got to oversee some of the cases. It was the, particularly the... Uh, the ballistics department. Fantastic. Couple of guys. Uh, the ballistics department is in the basement. Iowa has one of the largest collections of guns and weaponry. Did you get to in shoot the Midwest. shit? I did not get to shoot uh. shit, but I have seen some wicked stuff. Homemade weapons, samurai swords, anything from all the way to a potato launcher, right? So they have them on file. Potato launchers are weapons? They can be if shot at a short distance. It would be blunt force trauma. You could actually kill someone. Oh, but it's more fun to shoot them up than... I mean, I hear. 
to shoot them <laughs> up into the air and see how far you can get them. Yes, but God forbid something goes wrong. <sighs> I right? suppose, I suppose. But they have a firing range in the basement, in up adjacent to their offices. And so they would test fire weapons, and they have every kind of ammunition on the man also. And so one day I am, it's a quiet day. I'm writing my boring ass little bibliography. <laughs> and all of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. Oh my God, scared me to death. They did not tell me they were test firing anything. Well, I'd like to point out here that it didn't scare you to death because you're sitting here. Well, pretty damn close. Did you hit the floor? That's the real question. No, I had arms on my chairs. I was pretty locked in. Okay. But <laughs> I did go knock on the door and ask, what the hell? And what they had was a weapon, a handgun that was double firing. So you pull the trigger once and it shoots twice. Okay. They thought it was pretty B.A., so they were calling everybody down to the lab to test fire said gun. And I'm trying to work here. So they really don't care. They're having a good time. Right, right. Because they're so, gun nuts. Because they're gun nuts. And that's what they get to do is test guns all day if they want. Uh, that I sounds know. like a job I could get into. Right? Yeah. What's interesting is their old building. The, uh, the ballistics department was on the main floor in their old building. It's on the first floor. And... Obviously, they have a cement stop at the end of the firing range. Well, that building was really old. That cement stop had broken down pretty well. And when they moved into the new building, Uh they were remodeling the old building. And come to find out, some of those rounds had actually gone through the walls and probably out into the parking lot. And they probably were pretty lucky that nobody got hurt or reported any damage. Yeah. Uh, so that's why they put the ballistics in the basement of this building. Because if you shoot through the concrete, you hit dirt. Dirt. Yes. Mark yeah. thinking. Yes. Well, you know, you know, probably my guess would be that when the original ballistics lab was built, the wall was strong enough to withstand the guns of the day. The weaponry of the day. Yes. Yeah. And it was, a, I know, an office building. I don't think it was ever meant to be a crime lab. And they did what they thought they were doing correctly. Right, right. And but you, like you said, they're probably lucky because they're a state division, whatever you want to call them, a state-funded... Oh, yeah. They're so when somebody they sues them, they're really going to sue the shit out of them. Well, yeah. It's, it's It doesn't really say much for your crime department that you're correct committing crimes also by killing people. <laughs> so... <laughs> Doesn't really give you that much of a boost in popularity. So, well, you know. But no, it was a very good internship. I learned a lot. It actually opened doors for me. It, I got put in contact with the fire department in a neighboring city. For my graduate research, I got to burn a house down. I got to burn... I've burned two houses down in my lifetime. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, Keep your hands above the table. Right. I don't want you starting any <laughs> fires in my basement. I'm not actually a firebug. I'm actually quite... Uh, pyrophobic so that's unusual for me that i like to study but i studied cremation um we put pigs oh okay okay we put pigs in the house that were humanely euthanized and i got to collect their bones after the fire was put out took about a week i collected 3300 pieces of bones uh now tell me at least the pigs weren't alive when the fire started no they were humanely euthanized by a veterinarian prior to the fire Okay. Uh, Seems like such a waste of bacon. Yeah, it didn't smell good though. So, but that no, was probably because, all of the. Yeah, well, I mean insulation and. Yeah, when I was a kid, now when I, when I was a kid, 
I lived out in Rib Mountain. I don't know if you're familiar with the area over kind of by where the uh, DMV is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I grew up literally a mile down Rib Mountain Drive. Okay. Where they found the body. No, that was, well, kind of, sort of. Like like yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I grew up out there. And where we lived, it was, I think, three blocks, three or four blocks down. A house exploded. It was a natural gas kind of thing. Yeah. And it's probably the closest thing I have ever felt to what we thought was an earthquake at the time. Yeah. So, of course, you know. We're kids. We all jump on our bikes and we start riding down the road, you know. And there was a lady and I, I want to say two kids in the house at the time. Oh. And obviously they didn't make it. Yeah. But that was the first and only time I have ever smelt burning human flesh. Yes. That is horrid. It is. It is quite terrible. And people think it is a great way to get rid of a body. Unfortunately, it is not. It takes a lot of dedication. Because it's not hot enough It's normally. not hot enough. It's not hot enough. You have to burn for a long time at hot temp- high temperatures to really, really break down a body. And even then, you're probably still going to have teeth left. Uh, so you can identify a person just based on a few specks of bone left. Uh, so, no, burning flesh is quite terrible. Yes. Um, but in addition to my research, I was granted a position with the Department of Defense. I got to lift fingerprints for a year for a contract job off of IEDs, uh, roadside bombs, from Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, from overseas uh, in military areas. So was that kind of a high clearance type job? It was top secret. Yeah. So this is okay? This is okay. I didn't mention the actual department, the location I worked. Yeah. Um, so we were lifting fingerprints off of those. Uh, I spent a year doing that, working a god-awful shift. Uh, <laughs> that sounds oh, like a graveyard shift. It was midnight to 10 a.m., Friday oh. Friday through Monday. Oh. But the the lab was actually 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. I worked on Thanksgiving. I worked on Christmas. I worked on New Year's. I thank God I had no family out there because I would have been just devastated. We missed all the holidays. I just had my husband. So I got to see him every day, though. So, sorry. Just He's so, so sitting people here. That, yeah, people of you that, those of you that obviously can't see us, Lou is sitting over there making gestures. <laughs> We're not going to talk about what kind of gestures. <laughs> and put that away, Lou. But... <laughs> <laughs> interesting job unfortunately was contract so once the job was done the job was done yeah yeah and now i live in Wausau. yeah it's it's strange and lou and i talked about this on our podcast how we went to uh, college together and then we all kind of went our own ways you know and and uh and strangely we ran into each other at a gaming store right so uh all right so I guess we're getting to that kind of in that time range now where I start trying to wind things down. But I have a couple questions. Okay. First question is, and I'm going to preface this because otherwise it's going to sound really weird. So I write. I yes. do. I write short stories. I write poetry. I write that kind of stuff. But I've always wanted to kind of find out. 
I had once wrote a short story where I, ca- I called it the perfect crime. Ah. Okay. And the idea was somebody killed a person using like a giant icicle. Yes. Would that actually work? I mean, if you stab somebody with an icicle and it takes long enough to melt away, I mean, is there no fingerprints? There's. Yeah. I suppose it could, it could work um, in theory. Uh, if you hit them in just the right soft tissue, uh, if you were able to get maneuver through the ribs, I doubt an icicle would puncture or break. See, ribs. that was that was the one question I always um, had. Not would, so much that it would melt away, because obviously it, it would. The problem is, is that if you have an icicle outside, it's cold enough to maintain the icicle. It would probably be cold enough to maintain it after the crime as well. Okay. Um. What if you took, like, a golf club and shattered the <laughs> shit out of it afterwards? The body temperature inside would probably melt the inner part. Yeah, you probably could do that. Um, but, yeah, I guess my question was always, would it? could you make it strong enough without making it so ungodly big? Yeah. Um, if you could maneuver between the ribs and get it right into the heart, or if you could ma- puncture a major ves- blood vessel, maybe you go around the neck, yeah. uh, you could probably do something to that effect. Uh, no, it would not. Sorry. I don't think it would break. Question through the galleries if it would go through the skull, maybe the temporal region, and unfortunately, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think that's it, too it would, strong, even yeah. even here. Uh, and I'm touching my temple like you people can see me. <laughs> even even in the temple, I think the, the skull is still too thick. Yeah, if you could get into some soft, fleshy parts and get a major vessel, probably work. Or I suppose if you got the ice sickle big enough and you just beat the shit out of somebody with it. Yeah, yeah. And then it would melt away. And then it could melt away, yeah. <laughs> um, you're right in that there would not be any fingerprints that they could lift off of ice. Okay. Uh, even if even if the ice was left there? Uh, not likely. Your your body temperature would probably melt where your fingers oh, actually touched. okay. So, hey, but I'm not going to promote crime, but I'm no, just no. saying gloves, people. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So then... The last two questions. One is, what is the grossest thing you've ever dealt with in your time? Um, and I mean, you don't have to get too in detail. No, 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 that's fine. The thing that really bothers me, which is just really commonplace in my in anthropology, is maggots. I okay. don't deal with maggots. They just, the wiggliness, the fact that they put off so much heat... Is amazing. Off heat? Oh, incredible amounts of heat. Really? Why is yes. that? Because their their metabolism is so high. Because they're becoming because flies. Because they're becoming right? flies. So their metabolism is very high. They're growing at a rapid rate. They're busy. They're eating. They're moving. They put off tremendous amounts of heat. Uh, and so, th- just the sound. It sounds like if you like Rice Krispies, I'm sorry, but it sounds like Rice Krispies, okay? Like a bunch of them, you mean? Yes. So pour a bowl, some fresh milk, and that sound is what a maggot horde sounds like. And are they actually called a horde? Uh, a, a maggot mass, or okay, yeah. um, just so the sound they stink, they're warm, they're gross. Now, when I was at the the body farm, there was a researcher there from New Zealand actually doing a study. Of whether a body will decompose faster in a garbage can, like a wheelie garbage can that you have from the city. Right. Faster if the garbage can is clean or used and dirty. Right? He had the lids down 
And he even had the lids chained down so that critters couldn't get in there. Right. Maggots will find a way. Really? Oh, yeah. They were crawling out of the lid. There were so many. They were falling off the sides. Oh, God. Just, I could not wait to get away from that. Now, when we were at the farm, thankfully, the days that we were there, it would rain in the morning right before we got there. And so... The fly activity was really dampened down, and the smell was really kind of neutralized so, from the rain. But it's pretty smelly. What was the answer then? Clean or dirty? It was dirty. Oh, big time. Well, yeah, I, because there's already bacteria in there. Okay. Then the other, the other, the final question I have, I guess, on this topic is, what is the what's what's like something funny that people wouldn't normally think of, you know, something that, you know, even though it happens, you know, with every decomposing body or whatever, it's just, it's funny. (laughs) Uh, I think the bloat that goes along with it can be comical. Um, as the body breaks down, the bacteria that naturally occur in your digestive system, right? you know, they're no longer being supplied with fresh food. And so they will start breaking down the body. And as they do so, they release gas and so you get this natural bloat effect to the right kind of like you see a deer on the side of the right road. exactly and so you get this really big bloat effect okay and the fingers blow up the face everything about this body will just kind of expand and they almost start looking like a stay puff marshmallow man they just <laughs> get so huge but then eventually um you'll start to get small breaks in the skin and the gas escapes and it's then then they rapidly so people don't actually just like, they don't like split wide open or they, anything. They can. Oh. Yeah, they can split. <laughs> uh, but usually the gases will escape through natural openings. Um, mouth, anus, nose. Uh, but if there's any... <laughs> but. But. Uh, if there is any false openings, so stab wounds, bullet wounds, those are also going to be extra escape points. But they're also extra entry points for for flies and beetles and things. So you're going to have faster decomp there. Oh. Right? Nasty. Well, I want to thank you for stopping by and making sure I don't sleep tonight. You're welcome. I've got videos if you want. No, no, no. Oh, I think we're fine. Okay. We're fine. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, we're going to step away for a second. I'm going to uh, talk about my guest for next week. Uh, next week, I have a young man coming. His name is Spencer Loomis. I have known Spencer for a long time. Um, I don't know, since he was he was quite young, um, maybe 10-ish, something like that. Now he's uh, into his mid-20s, so I've known him quite a while. Uh, Spencer has got a podcast of his own. I told him I would pimp his podcast once he came on mine. So, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, generous in that way. But... Um, I, I, he has a wrestling podcast. Um, I don't have the name with me right now, but I will definitely give him the time next week to pimp out his podcast to you guys. Um, I have listened to a few of his podcasts. If you're into wrestling, they're great podcasts. I personally am into wrestling, so, um, I, I think it's a great podcast. Um, but Spencer will be here next week. We will talk to him. My guess is that he wants to talk wrestling because he knows I'm a wrestling fan. So, um, for the first time, I don't think he's going to throw me a curveball. So far, everybody has kind of, you know, I kind of look at everybody as they're coming in. And I think, okay, what are they going to want to talk about? You know, 
what are their interests, what are, you know, this, that, and the next thing. And then, um, You're and then. You're also two for 15 now. Right. I didn't say I was good at it. <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to get a curveball here. I think that's probably what we're going to end up talking about. Um, so anyway, um, also send in your emails, any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts. Don't ever bring Nikki back because, uh, she talks about dead bodies that blowed up and split. You know, that kind of thing. Whatever you guys have to say, uh, uh, you can, uh, send those emails in to me at, uh, whose podcast is it at gmail.com. Um, it, it, there's only two ways to get on my podcast. One is to write in and have me read your letter on the air. The other is to, uh, get a hold of me and, uh, do my podcast. So those are your two options. Um, other than that, uh, let's see. Let's let's get right into the last segment. We're running a, a few minutes late, long here, but that's okay. Um, so I do a segment called Today's Quote, or Today's Quotes in this case, because I'm going to give you two. Oh, good. So I'm going to make it easier for you, hopefully. Um, so what I do is I'll, I'll read you the quotes, and then you get to, you know, guess who said them. Okay. So, So here's quote number one. Health nuts are going to feel stupid someday, lying in hospitals, dying of nothing. All right? And the second one is, beauty may be skin deep, but ugly glows clear to the bone. Ooh. Uh, the first one. It's the same person. Oh, it's the same person. Yes. Yes. Oh. Oh, good Lord. I will give you a hint. Okay. And I don't normally do this, but I'm feeling generous tonight. Thanks. The person who said this is male. Okay. And a stand-up comedian. Is it Seinfeld? No. Oh. It was actually um, Red Fox. Oh, would never have gotten that. Do you know who he is, though? He was on Sanford and Son. He played... Uh, I'm he... aware. Yes. You're aware. Okay. Which means I never watched the show. But I've heard the name. Okay, so Red Fox started out as a stand-up comedian. Actually, when I was putting this together and I was looking through stuff, um, the reason I picked him is he would have been 94 on December 9th. Okay. Um, unfortunately, he passed away, I want to say, in like 1998 or something like that, um, of a heart attack, which, strangely enough, he was always calling out to his, his dead yes. wife on Stanford and Son. Coming, Elizabeth. I'm right? coming, Elizabeth. Yes. Yeah. See, I know. I know things. <laughs> So anyway, um, he started out uh, as a stand-up comedian, and when I was doing research, he actually has somewhere right around 70 different comedy albums Wow! over the years. But I got to know Red Fox when I was in high school. I already knew the show Sanford and Son, because growing up, it was on Nick at Night, which my mother was addicted to. Okay. We watched Nick at Night every night. <laughs> So, um, you know, I got all the greats, Andy Griffith Show, um, Gilligan's Island, Green Acres, F Troop, all these, you know, 60s and 50s, 60s and 70s sitcoms, Okay, which is what my mother grew up with. So whatever. But, um, but somebody that I went to school with said, here, you got to listen to this. And he handed me a CD, and this was in the early years of CDs, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I already had a, well, we had a CD player at home. 
and he hands me this disc and it's and it's literally on it all it says is it looks like a brown paper bag and it says red fox in a in a plain brown wrapper i had no idea i was thinking elizabeth i'm coming for you you know kind of thing <laughs> no he was filthy he was absolutely filthy and it just i i don't know why but i just like i'm like it was amazing too you know yeah so anyway, um, to wrap it up, you know, just, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, celebrate Thanksgiving and then worry about Christmas. Please. Good night.